Welcome to a special episode of the Duke Football Talk Section 17 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kennedy, and we're just going to jump right into it. The guys, and that being Josh, Jamie, and Scott, they were able to sit down with the captain of the Duke football team, one of the captains, I should say, Dwayne Carter. And I got to say, I'm a little nervous. He might be taking my spot as the fourth member on the Duke Football Talk crew, but we'll dive right into it. Here are the guys speaking with Dwayne Carter. Hey, Duke fans, this is Josh Cox, along with my fellow Section 17 guys, Jamie Holt and Scott Medlin. We are missing Brian Kennedy today, but we do have a a, a replacement uh, for Brian uh, and Duke defensive lineman and team captain, uh, Dwayne Carter, who uh, took some time out of his bye week to come hang out with us today. Dwayne, thanks for coming and hanging out here on the Section 17 podcast. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, for sure, man. Just finished lunch. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. What was on the What was on the menu today? So we had kind of our own uh, KFC famous bowls. I don't know if you've seen the bowl with the mashed potato, the corn, the cheese, and the uh, popcorn chicken. Okay, my favorite. You know the gravy, of course. Yeah, yeah. So we kind of walked in the training table today. They had their own little station. It was pretty good. And uh, full disclosure, Dwayne came in with one plate of food <laughs> instead of four, knowing he was coming to meet with us. But that's all right, man. We we won't hold that against you. But uh, but look, we're going to go a lot of different directions today, Dwayne. So uh, first of all, man, let's start out with. I know a lot of people have asked you this question, but like, mm-hmm. let's, let's rewind like three months, right? So we're, we're in August, we're early August, fall camp, like preseason expectations for this team. I know there were a lot of people that were, the, the word was like patience and, mm-hmm. you know, all this stuff. Well, now here we sit, right? We sit five and three, um, you know, uh, one more win going to a bowl game. Like think back three months ago and th- talk a little bit about what preseason expectations were maybe for you personally and inside that locker room, not the noise that was outside. Yes. I mean, outside, like obviously coach, Uncle made it very clear that when he came, it was like expectations went down. It's not a rebuilding year. It's not like we're going to take our time, kind of ease our way into it. Well, I'm coming here to continue to build and win, not just take it easy. Like you said, and I think the expectation has been the same since that press conference in January, December, whenever it was. And I kind of, we hit the ground rolling. Coach Philly came in, and I'll never forget this, the first day of workouts we ever had. We could not get these commands right for our stretches. And I think we did about 65 up-downs in a warm-up. And that kind of set the tone for how it was going to be this year. And that was kind of like, that's something we never forget. We talked about the other day in locker room. Like, I think that day in the lift, I think we maybe touched the barbell for maybe five minutes. Everything else was up-downs and other things we had to do because we couldn't get right. And that's just standard that kind of set. So, I mean, the expectation's always been way up here, and that's the kind of standard we live at. Well, and, and remember, right, the, the defense, like we were – let's be honest, defense was pretty rough last year. Yeah. And then uh, you have Riley. People talking about he's going to be the number 14 quarterback, you know, in yeah. the ACC. So, those expectations were pretty low, man. And then, you know, this team kind of uh, – responded a little differently than what I think people expected, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, at the end of the day, I kind of – I like to say around the guys, like it's not about proving other people right or wrong. It's about proving us right. Because at the end of the day, we knew what we had. We knew we had the talent. We knew we had the development. We knew we had the coaching. We knew we had the heart. And that was the most important thing to us is just to continue to prove ourselves right each day at practice, at lift, whatever it may be, just prove ourselves right knowing that we can do what we can do. What's the biggest change in the football program since Coach Elko took over? Yeah, so I say, honestly – Thinking about it is like, it's been a lot of change, obviously. And it's just, I guess when he kind of came in, I guess guys' mindsets kind of changed. And I won't say necessarily it was him. Obviously, it's him and everything he brought in. But it was like, all right, guys, like, you know, we came here to win. You didn't come to college football to lose. And you can see it's a clear mindset change, whether it was through workouts, whether it was through just hanging out, whether it's through on the field. It's very evident how hard guys are playing. 
it's just knowing that we're capable and kind of like the foundation, like we said in the spring and the summer, just kind of proved that. How, how would you say as far as Coach Elko being a master motivator? Just hearing some of the clips from the locker room before the games. Yeah. Just, you know, the little snippets of things that he's letting you guys know about before the game starts and you go out on the field. Yeah, I mean, I was – honestly, I'm not going to lie. I was a little skeptical, like, at first. I was curious to see how his freaking his features were going to go because kind of with uh, Coach Cup, we kind of the same thing every week. And Coach Huckley took a different approach, just like a different speech teller to each week. And he, he's pretty good. And, like, he's really serious about football. He's very passionate. He loves the game, and it kind of shows through his pregame speech. And, like, the little clips you guys get to see, like, it's as real as it gets. He doesn't hold anything back, and he kind of keeps it 100 with us at all times. And it shows a lot right before the game. So, we've heard – we've seen Feely in a couple of those. Is that normal? Yeah. The strength and conditioning guy, like, is that a normal thing for him to be a kind of part of that, like, pregame speech and that hype? Is that normal in other programs, or is that something unique to Coach Elko and Coach Feely here at Duke? Yeah, so I'm not sure about other programs, but I know obviously cross country strength coaches kind of had the mo for being very vocal, very loud. But in our specific program, I mean pregame, we had different stretch groups before we actually go out on the field. So we're always the last group that comes out, like the linemen and a couple other guys. But and then that's where Philly kind of takes over and he does his thing. And it's not like he's doing it just because he has to. It's because his passion takes over and he kind of gets out whatever he has to get out before the game. So I love it. Nice. Now talking about the season, man. So. We get started. We, we take the L at Kansas, but I feel like everybody inside and outside the program kind of had the heads were high after that Kansas game, yeah. and we understood the level of offense, Jalen Daniels, and blah, blah, blah. We heard mm-hmm. all that. Uh, and then we're, we were looking kind of ahead, you know, that we had that Virginia game. And then it was for the fan base. I know that the team is not like this, but for the fan base, it's like after the Virginia game, it's like, oh, we're going to go down to, we're going to go down to Atlanta for a quick, a quick exit ramp and come back for that Carolina mm-hmm. game, right? And instead, we go down to Georgia Tech and, you know, obviously they had gone through a coaching change, um, and and just wasn't clicking right yeah. in Atlanta. So, uh, and we're heading somewhere for this. What was the the feeling, the honest kind of feeling in the locker room after that Georgia Tech game? You know, really, we didn't show up for three and a half quarters. Mm-hmm. You know, Samir turns the light on for us, and we, you know, last six minutes we played good football. Yeah. But what was the overall feeling in the locker room after that Georgia Tech game? Yeah, you know, obviously it sucks to lose, and honestly, the feeling about every loss that we've had is that we know why we lost. Right, so I mean, if you look back at last year, which obviously we don't like to look, whatever, but you can look at look at like the analogy I like to use is if you look in a car, right? You have the big window and you have your rear view mirror, and it's smaller because you gotta look back sometimes. But obviously, it's more important what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like analogy we go by, but like we know why we lost. And last year we were getting embarrassed, and it was kind of like, what do you do next, mm-hmm. right? Because you have to have confidence. It's just gone. Yeah, 48 you're, nothing is hard. That's what I'm saying. You're going right, to next yeah, week, yeah. like, just thinking, like, all right, we got a shot. So they score, though, it's like morale's down. But, like, it's just so you know why you lose. It's little mistakes. We can go back and fix. It's fixable things. And the questionable thing last year, I feel like, it was our heart and our effort. Mm-hmm. And this year, I feel like you nobody's ever questioned that. Yeah. And it's actually, like, a positive thing for our team. Like, we're looked at it around the country as we play hard and we play fast and we look like we love the game. There's passion behind it. So, I mean, that's the thing. Like, after logical, obviously it sucked. You know, guys are crushed. Guys are hurting. But we know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. We know we can get better. We know we have to fix to win. Yeah. You can see it in every single game. That I mean, there's no quit in this team. Yeah. The Kansas game, the Georgia Tech game, the UNC game, all, all games where we were down, but we came back. Yeah. Or you were able to come back. It's just amazing to see just the no-quit attitude. You know, 100%. I mean, that's 
I, I guess that's how we were made in the winter and the summer. And they kind of broke us down physically and mentally, like put us through things that we weren't ready for, honestly, at the time. And then now it's kind of showing through the season that we're battle tested. We're ready for anything and try to continue that throughout the year. So the defense gets uh, then gets a challenge uh, with Drake May and company, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and, and obviously a lot of talk, and, and deservedly so, um, for Drake May and and Downs and, and all the all the guys, all the weapons that they have. And so um, I guess, first of all, about that Carolina game, I mean, for us, um, you know, as we were watching, what did it feel like to come out of that tunnel? And I, I would say, were you here in 2018? Were you here that Notre Dame were you a red? Were you red shirt in that year? When Notre Dame came down here, yeah. So that was my freshman. Yeah, my ref, that was my freshman. Year. So like, but that's the last time the stadium has been full. What did yeah. it feel like, man, coming out? You know, in a night game. Um, you know, when you guys came out of that tunnel, I know it can be demoralizing sometimes to come out and, and see the lack of fan support. Mm-hmm. What was it like to come out and see that place just rocking, man? Yeah, so honestly, it was a little emotional because, like, you know, we come out for pregame stretch, like usually. There's a couple people here and there. Usually, I see my mom in the corner. <laughs> you know, she's always there. But by the way, you can always look up at seventeen because we're always. Up I there. say you right. guys are always there. Like <laughs> you have your consistent, like true fans. I would say, but obviously, like we came out for stretch and it was like almost full already, and like we kind of coming together for that pregame huddle and like this usually my job. Whatever, talk to the guys and I was like, I just told them like honestly, just take a second look around. And it was kind of like a surreal moment, like kind of like we built this. Like people are believing in what we're doing. They're believing in our culture. They think what we're doing is real, and it is. So it was kind of like one of those moments. It wasn't a pregame speech. It was like, guys, look, we did this. Let's go continue to prove, like, why we deserve people in the crowd, why we deserve supporters, and then why, like, people are here watching this play and why this is a primetime, like, true game. Yeah, and it wasn't just that. It was was Duke fans. Like, I would say, you know, there's always the danger when the team is eight miles away that, you know, those tickets are going to be bought up, you know, by UNC fans. But – it was a good 60, 65%, you know, Duke fans. And I thought that was, once again, like you said, a testimony to what you guys have done uh, inside that locker room that's translated on the field. And then people are noticing and taking notice. And so I guess that's the appeal to Duke fans. But two more home games left, right? We got Virginia games, Tech yeah. and, and Wake Forest. Wake Forest yeah. yeah, so, I mean, they got two more chances to come out. And don't no excuses. I know Wake Forest is, what, Thanksgiving? Saturday Thanksgiving? No excuses. Yeah, yeah. No excuse. No excuse Show up. At all. Show up, for sure. Um. So then that's what we really want to get to. And this is where we're going to kind of loosen up a little bit. So this week we head down to South Beach, right? We take, as LeBron would say, right? We took our talents. Took our talents. Yes, we took did. Took our talents to South Beach. So first of all, um, 10 point dogs. Yeah. Your reaction. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. I don't know if we've been, I think one game we've been favored this year. Honestly, I think it's been one. It's kind of underdog mentality. Like, honestly, it's cool. I don't know if you guys saw my Instagram post. I, my caption was actually, I've been the other dog. I'm cool in my dog house. Yeah, yeah. With the, with the, uh, with the, like, with the little yeah. shrug. Like, <laughs> you know, 10 point dog, that's fine. We'll go out there, play the game, put the ball down. But honestly, it's a mentality. Like, we're underdogs and nobody believes in us still. Like, even to this day, like, we've done, obviously, this, there's a lot, of, a lot of season left. We're whatever, five and three. We lost some games, but still, it's like, all right, like, is Duke just fluking? And like, is this just momentum? Is it whatever? We're like, that's fine. That's fine. We still got to play on Saturdays, put the ball down wherever, and we'll just go do it. Walk us through the, the first part of the game at Miami because it, it felt like Miami was kind of moving the ball all over mm-hmm. the field. What kind of adjustments were made after that first touchdown? Because after that first touchdown, y'all just really locked in. Yeah, so to be honest, I think we had a fourth down stop yeah. in that drive. <laughs> we did. But besides the point, you got to keep playing. It was really close. I mean, they had – it was kind of miscommunication, whatever. 
He kind of snuck through the back. It was good to play design, good play design on there, and he got lost through the wash, came back in the end zone. But then it was kind of like we kind of realized our offense kind of struggled a little bit, and it was like we got to dominate and kind of give them some momentum, right? So create opportunities where we can and turnovers, and we came away with eight of them, so I think we did a pretty good job. Right. But it was just kind of defense. We just switched like it was make a decision because kind of I think this is honestly usually a point in the season where it either goes one way or it goes the other. And the past three years I've been here, it's always gotten the other. We decided to quit, whatever, guys, making it through, trying to get to Christmas, whatever it may be. And it was like kind of on the sideline, you just felt it across the board. It was like we're going to flip the switch, and we're just going to keep going no matter what. You know, the situation um, you kind of worked out where they go down and they score that first touchdown. And, you know, people at home at times are like, oh, my, not yeah. again. And then the second half, you know, we finished the first half. Second half starts, and Garcia makes a great pass. Guy gets down the sideline, scores, yeah. and they score again. And it's almost like the mentality of, oh, my goodness, is this really happening? Yeah. And from – and I'll say from my my seat at my house, being a Duke fan, that to me was when it was almost like you found the magic switch over there. Yeah. You guys are like, okay, now let's go. They got a lead. We're going to go take it back. And from that moment on, you dominated the game. 28 nothing. 28 nothing. Yeah. 28, yeah, 28. You dominated the game. You turned them over. You were there on Garcia almost every time. You were, And when I say you, I mean you were almost there every time with a hand in Garcia's face when he was throwing it. And, you know, it goes back to something you said a minute ago. The mentality of this team, it's there. We see it. Yeah. I mean, and we're, I'm not saying this is just a Duke fan, but as a true fan, see, the narrative to me is Duke football is never going to be any better than where they've put us. Yeah. And that's a bad thing. And you guys are proving it wrong. And that's a great thing. Yeah. And I think that's, a, that's I think, the kind of the mindset you guys have, and I'm, I'm talking out of place maybe, but I do believe you, that's how you see it. And I think that's what Coach Elko sees too. I mean, you're not getting any love. You're 10-point underdogs. No love whatsoever. Okay, fine. We'll go out there and prove to you what we can do. And at the end of the day, 45-21. So, obviously, you know, these people don't know what they're talking about. They don't know the the heart and the fight you guys have inside. Speaking of what Scott said about you being, seemed like on Garcia, like every play. Uh, last week we saw come out that you lead the ACC with 31 pressures. Oh, yeah. I haven't, I haven't looked again this week, but. What is it that has led to that? Is it we know your nonstop motor, so we already yeah. know that as Duke fans. But I mean, scheming is it? I mean, I, mean, just... I say it's a little bit of everything. Obviously, we have a great staff, and we have a defensive genius, and Coach Elko's the head coach, a great DC, and Coach Smith, and then my D line coach, Coach Simpson, one of the best in the country. And I mean, they just they have so many different tips and tricks, and they teach you how to see things that a lot of guys don't. They just play blindly. So the big thing about us, we play very smart. Like, a lot of our blitz games, like, if you really know what you're looking for, you can see, like, it's not just, all right, maybe we're going to send a guy off the backside and maybe he gets home. It's all, like, drawn up for a specific reason. So, I mean, there's so many reasons on why I get back there. Other guys get back there. There's a reason why I think BJ leads the team in sacks as a, as a safety. <laughs> and it's funny because I think Jamie leads in PBUs. But I was bad at balls as a defensive tackle. <laughs> so, you know, it's just funny how it works out. But there's a lot of reasons why. And it's just a great it's a great system. Yeah, and and to re- we've said this on our pod. There's no penalty flag that truly determines anything. But uh, 
But but and I, I guess this is an honest question. You play in the trenches, right? Yeah. You've been playing in the trenches now for three years. Is it one of those things where, like, possibly on every play, there could be some sort of penalty flag that's thrown? It just so happens every now and then. Because from from the perspective of watching on TV and from, from being in games, it does seem like every now and then there's, you know, there's some uh, – you you are you are not giving free range of motion. Yeah. To get where you need to go, um, yeah. or even okay, let's be honest about the the sack on Drake May in the in the UNC game. Uh-huh. It's like how do you balance that as a player, man? Like I know I just got held and I was almost at the quarterback, or yeah. I just sacked the quarterback and did the, my very best to bring him down without causing a penalty, yeah. and I got a penalty. How do you balance that going to the next play and just giving hundred percent, but understanding? Sometimes that's going to lead to a penalty. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, first, officials have a hard job. Yeah. They do have a very hard job. And obviously, like, some things are missed, some things are called that you don't think are called. So it's that next play mentality. And that's kind of like whatever. It's adversity. You got to just keep going, keep going. Because at the end of the day, there's more game to say, more game to play. And like you said, like, no flag, no one flag determines the game. Even though, you know, speaking from experience like <laughs> i would love to have that flag back i right. would but at the end of the day i'm sure john tavius has has one he'd like to have back yeah as john well. Tavius might have a couple too. yeah yeah a couple yeah but, i mean <laughs> no flag determines one play it's just that verse you got to keep going through no matter what and i think actually last week or was it saturday we played in miami i had one i had a qb hit and it's kind of like you see me raise my arms and strategically i rep on his shoulders and I kind of run chest up and kind of just run and just stay up and just stop. Because if my face mask would have been forward and I maybe would have hit him in the face with my face mask, that's potentially a flag. Mm-hmm. They call helmet to the helmet. They call roughing the passer. It's just so technical because they're trying to protect the quarterbacks and obviously, you know, protection about the game. That's important. Right. But it's just a lot of things you got to think about. Have you seen those videos where they're like, how to, how to properly sack a quarterback? And it's like they pick Kevin him up Hart. and like, yeah. yeah, Kevin Hart. Yeah, it was Kevin Hart. <laughs> okay. So to play off that and what you just said, it's funny because there's one replay where you were on Garcia and it almost looks like you were going to tackle him. And it was like you were holding him and he went to the ground and you were kind of like, I caught him. Saw him <laughs> yeah, I caught him. Ground yeah. And walking away. And the replay was just perfect because it was from the, the other end zone. Uh-huh. And you could see it perfectly. And I'm like, he is just literally laying him down like he's yeah. going down for a nap or something so he doesn't mess with him. So it's funny. I've done that. I've done it a couple times this year because I'm very conscious about it. Like, if I know it's going to be close, I'm not just going to obviously launch whatever. That's an automatic flag nowadays. So a lot of times, I'll kind of run through it and I'll either wrap and just run with the quarterback and hold him or like you said with Garcia, like, I kind of hit him. He started to fall and I grabbed his shoulder pads <laughs> and like, try to like, alright, alright, we're good and then, you know, jog to the ball or whatever. To try to do something. Watching it on TV, it was hilarious. In fact, we was in the group chat. I said, I think he just literally grabbed him and laid him down. Set him down, yeah. Yeah, so that's definitely intentional. It's definitely intentional. There was a lot of uh, upside-down U's and broken U's at the end of that game uh, last Saturday, and and deservedly so. But now we here we sit, right? Four games. Four games left. We already mentioned two home games. Then we also have, what, Pitt and – Boston College. Uh, Boston College. That's the next one coming yeah. up. So we got four games left, all ACC games. Um, I mean, I think at the beginning of the season, like logical Duke fans would look and be like, okay, these games are should be wins. These games are your 50-50 games. And honestly, we may have looked at one or two and been like, ah, I mean, it's going to really – yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now we got four games left. I mean, is there any team left on the schedule that you guys aren't confident that you can go in and beat? Yeah, I mean – so, I mean, the mentality is the same every week, and that's honestly the best thing I think Coach Elko and the staff has done. 
like no matter who the opponent is, from A and T to UNC, like it's been the same mentality every single week. Just taking it week by week, preparing for each team the same, and then going out and execute the game plan the best of our ability. And so we're confident. Like I said, we're confident in our, in our abilities because we want to prove ourselves right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been the biggest thing because in the past, like we're like, all right, we'll start off maybe three and one, whatever. We can do this. And then as soon as one thing goes wrong, we read into the media, we read into whatever people are saying on campus. Like it's just there's so many different things. So just focus on the internal and focus on us. Like I just believe like the sky's the limit for this team. And obviously they remember November. And that's the most important season yeah. for football. So you know, yeah. I said to um, you know, we, I I jokingly said this last week, talking about the cliche that you cannot let Carolina and Georgia Tech beat you. Twice. And beat you twice. twice. Yeah. And yeah. doggone it. You went right out there and you did what you're supposed to do, and that that thing and that goes right to what you're saying about the mentality of this team and what Coach Elko does, as what I call him the master motivator. Yeah, on that, I so agree. He says master motivator. I like to use another word because I think this is a good thing to have as a yeah. head coach. The pettiness. The pettiness. All right, so so the pettiness of this team and and even Coach Elko. So we've asked him questions. For instance. Uh, you go to Northwestern. Mm-hmm. What was everybody talking about heading Northwestern? Their offensive line. How physical. Just how incredible their offensive line. Man, they got a top 10 draft pick on that offensive line. Blah, 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 yeah. blah. Well, not only do you guys go and play well on the D-line, but our offensive line shows out Boy. in that game, right? And so Boy. we kind of asked if he used that as motivation. He was like, absolutely, we used that as motivation. Of course we did. Yeah. So, like, <clears throat> is there a little bit of, of, like, healthy pettiness there of, like, hey, somebody says something wrong. Pre-game or leading up to a game, we won't bring up uh, the Virginia pre pre week where Tony Elliott's you know whatever. But is there a little bit of pettiness there that's that's really good in that locker room of like giving you yeah. guys an edge of like here's what they're saying. Now let's go do something and prove them wrong. No, hundred percent, hundred percent. That's funny. Like Northwestern was honestly the prime example because yeah. I remember that Monday we came in for practice. It was like, all right, listen, this is why. People are saying Northwest is going to win, not only win, dominate, mm-hmm. because you guys can't hold up and you guys can't do this and you can't do that and you can't. Well, newsflash, we've been told we can't do things all offseason <laughs> by Coach Feely <laughs> <laughs> trying to make us break. <laughs> right. And, and on the back end, he's building us up, proving it to us that we can do it because he knew it the whole time. So it's like, all right, keep telling us we can't do it. Keep telling us we can't do it because I promise you, we're either going to die trying <laughs> until that clock hits zero. Yeah. So that's it. I love it. I think there's. There's such value in that, like, and using those things to your advantage, like competitive advantage. And I love the fact that, like, we don't kind of shy away from it. You know, our, even to a certain degree, even our, like, social media and, like, and digital team, you know, not not crazy, but, like, can, you know, somewhat play along bit, uh, yeah. with that, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. in appropriate ways, for sure. And so those guys uh, help, for sure. Well, look, a couple – you mentioned – we've talked about Feely a lot, man. I know there's – and yes. I know there's other guys top to bottom on this staff, but, like, Feely's transformed some players, right? And yeah. one of them – happens to start alongside you and Jamion Franklin. Yeah. Right. Jamion Franklin 12 months ago and Jamion Franklin right now, from days. our perspective, is 180 degree difference. Like night like night and day. Like what's what's been the, the evolution of Jamion Franklin? Uh honestly first is uh his shape. Like he lost he was impressive. I think around thirty pounds. I think he lost and that's from workouts on top of his extra cardio, <laughs> on top of just his want and will to be better for himself and for the team, right? So, I mean, that first, and I mean, his work at work ethic. Like, his work ethic has never been bad, but he, the state he was in, like, shape he was in, didn't allow him to do everything he wanted to do. So, he knew that. He recognized that. And Coach Philly was kind of the extra kick in the butt every day. Like, <laughs> you're playing for something more. Like, and obviously, like, our, us being his teammates around him, just tell him to keep going because how much we need him and how much of a good ball player he is. And 
we all knew how good of a player he was. It just was the fact that him playing and sustaining for long, the whole game, the yeah. whole drives, like, and I mean, he's done nothing but prove that this year. He's a ball player. Yeah, because so you mentioned he lost weight. Then you got other guys like Nicky Dalmullen adding weight. It's yeah. like uh, Feely came in and, and I evidently was like, all right, here's the changes that need to be made individually to these different guys. Yeah. Here's the way we're going to make that happen. And so that's been really neat to see because we can physically see the transformation. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's, uh, I think it's very interesting if I, I, yeah, this is just, you don't have to comment on this, um, <laughs> that back 15, 16 years ago, when coach Cutcliffe came to Duke, the first thing he said was this is the most out of shape team that I've ever seen. And he got the guys in shape. Yeah. It's very, very interesting over the years. However that happens, it kind of gets back to that. Okay. Well, when we make another change man, conditioning is like the first thing that we got to get, and I know everybody has their different things, but I think it's kind of interesting that that was a, a major key uh, to Coach Elko's and the success of the season has been really the conditioning of you guys. I mean, we used to get to November, and you've already mentioned it, and we're like, oh, no, we have 17 injuries, and there's no way. How are these guys even going to – yeah, all these snaps they're having to take now. You know what yeah. I mean? And we have a couple of injuries right now, but knock on wood, we're we're pretty good. Yeah. And and I think that's a, that's got to be a testament a little bit of being bigger, faster, and stronger than we were 12 months ago. Yeah, I mean, 100%, I think so. I mean, just the ability to sustain, and I'm going to keep referencing the winter and the summer because yeah. that's literally how the program was developed. And at the time, like, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And now, like, you see it, and you just see it come, like, in the fourth quarter. Like, it's so funny because teams will try to run tempo on us, and we just look at them in the face, and the O-line, and their mouth breathing, like, the mouthpiece is hanging out. And we're looking at him like, this is embarrassing. How can you not run your system against yeah, us? Yeah. Right? So it's just funny. Yeah. But it's just everything that we've done has a method. There's a method to the madness, right? Yeah. And everything that we've done has been for a reason. Yeah. All right. So we're about to head to a segment here in a second. We've got one more question. Then we're going to head to a five deep with you. But uh, going into the season, there were uh, three guys, you, Jacob, and Shaka, uh, listed as team captains. And obviously very deserving, uh, all three of you guys. Um as the season has gone on now, eight, uh, eight games in, um, it's obvious that as Riley Leonard, you know, QB, I, I'm calling him now QB one W O N yeah. one instead of one. Um, <laughs> like but, uh, but as, as Riley got the starting job, like his, his on field leadership is obvious right now. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously a team has rallied around him, but then also that we mentioned offensive line in the Northwestern game, yeah. that O line, man, Graham Barton and Jacob Monk and all those guys. So I, I'm going to make you choose, man. Who's had the most impressive First eight games. Is it the offensive line as a whole or is it QB one? That's a great question. I know they kind of, they kind of feed off each other. Yeah, You know, they do feed off each other and obviously Riley can't run without them. So like, you know, I call it O-line. They're like our evil twins, right? Yeah. yeah. So we go to battle with them, everything, but we got the opposite jobs and they've done a great job, but honestly, it's gotta be Riley. I mean, to be as young as he is. And honestly, you wouldn't know how much of a dog that Riley actually is unless he's on the field. Because outside, like he's nice as can be, yeah. like he's kind of reserved, like he's not shy, but yeah, yeah. he just not doesn't. He's go got that way. like innocent, yeah, the innocent like high exactly. school like, kid. He's, yeah, he yeah. does his thing, goes on, but on the field, like it's, it's a different animal. I mean, he's a competitor. Like you see him, like he doesn't care. He would dive across a line of scrimmage over three hundred pound D linemen, trying to run through DBs. Yeah. Like, flipped, no, yeah, yeah flip yeah, it, and he'll pop right back up. And yeah, keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Like it's just. I got to give it to him because his composure, like even in times we've been losing or times, like he feels like he hasn't played very well. He never lets it show. Mm -hmm. I mean, after the game, you'll hear like, hey, that's on me. Like I should do this. I should do that. But 
at the end of the day, like it's just, it's impressive to see how well he's done and how young he actually is. Have you so, been introduced to Rod, <laughs> to the Riley Leonard fan club? Yes, yeah, right I started here. it early in the spring. I was like, Riley, Riley's a QB one. I could tell. <laughs> Ball play. But uh, so a couple of weeks ago, me and Scott were in the media for the A and T game, and Riley, of course, took off on that big run. Yeah. And then after the game, Riley says the guys were joking with him about how he was running, and he was asked, you know, what would they say? Does he really look like a giraffe while he's running? <laughs> Riley looks like a giraffe. <laughs> it is so funny because people don't realize how athletic he actually is. Like, we're talking about a guy who can do 360 dunks, who can right. do windmill dunks, who will literally dunk on somebody. He'll dunk, and his on, he'll dunk on Darius Joyner, let's be honest. He'll like, dunk all over Joyner. I oh. think he's got Darius. In my I, opinion. Hey, I think he's got hey. Darius. Podcast exclusive. I think he's got <laughs> Darius. Darius but, like, Riley is so athletic, and it's just funny because it's, like, so casual. I think that's why it's so funny because, like, he'll just take off, like, all these long touchdown runs he had this year, and he runs away from people. Like, even against Miami last week, he's hitting corners on yeah. supposed to be some of the guys, fast guys in the conference. Yeah, some, four, right some five stars. Yeah. yeah. So it's just, it's just yeah. a testament to him and his ability. Well, okay. Jamie kind of stole a little bit of my thunder of the question I was going to ask you. <laughs> but that's okay. I'll, I'll come at it in a different angle. So, in the ANT game, for example, you picked up a fumble and returned it for a touchdown. Yes. You were this close last Saturday to doing the same thing. <laughs> Who had a better touchdown run? <laughs> Quarterback one, W-O-N-E, or Dwayne Carter? Or big guy, big guy too. You know, I might be a little biased, <laughs> but Riley did what he was supposed to. And, I, I, you know, I did kind of a uncommon feat is yeah. what I like to call it. Yeah. You know, obviously with helping Nia's making a great play, of course. And the ball kind of bounced the right way, bounced in my hands, and I just had to do the rest. And I think I hit one. I hit one of my top speeds in that run too. So you know, I think I ran pretty well. <laughs> I will say I gotta. I gotta say my ball security at the end. You know, the one hand Menzel run. Yeah. Was not what I should have done. Yeah. But you know, they kind of it took over because if was it surreal. was in spring ball, we would have heard over the loudspeaker. It'd have been like Dwayne Carter, seven miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it would have been. Okay, one more follow up on that too. When's the last time you scored a touchdown? Or have you? So last touchdown I had. With my senior year of high school, I had a pick six. Okay. So they had a, they ran a screen, and we watched it all weekend film. And kind of like I hit the alignment, let him run by, and the back kind of sat right in the line of scrimmage. So I kind of just stood there. And as soon as the ball went up, I jumped. I only took it like I was. We were on like the ten yard line, so I ran it like ten yards. But I got in the, I got in the end zone. It's the longest ten yards ever. Right? I got in the end zone. Next time you score, I need a little Deion Sanders uh, heading into the end zone with your. <laughs> that's what I said. That, that's what I said. I, I blew the celebration, but I was right. in shock. I'm not yeah. gonna lie. I was yeah. in shock. <laughs> All right, so we do a five deep where it's a written article. We've we've talked to Riley. We talked to Graham Barton last week. Jalen, a couple of people. Um, so we're gonna do this one. We'll just keep this in the podcast. We won't do this as a regular uh, article. So I'm gonna yeah. ask you five questions. They're kind of quick hitters. And then we're going to be done. All right. We got uh, got, got five good ones here. All right. You could definitely be the mayor of Duke University. Right. So if you were running for mayor on campus, who would your running mate be? That's the first part of the question. Yeah. The second part, uh, do you have maybe a campaign slogan that you would uh, kind of roll with? Yeah. So uh, first, my running mate, I have to go with, you know, the hot hand. And it's got to be Riley. Okay. I got to write solid, you know, I think, honestly. So Carter Leonard. Yeah, Carter 24, Leonard. 24, yeah. All right. And then I will say... My campaign slogan would definitely be Big Wayne the campaign. Well, say it again. Big Wayne the campaign. <laughs> Big right? Wayne the campaign. All right, I, I like that. I can't even I like take that. credit for it. I will say Coach Manning. Okay. Old D line coach came up with that for me. Yo, but I'm definitely going to have to roll with that. Such a 17 podcast. I may have to work out an NIL deal with you. Make a t shirt. You know what I'm saying? Just, oh, you yeah. know, 
Big, big, big way in the campaign. campaign. I love it. I love it. All right. So Riley Leonard, we'll have to, you have to talk to Riley about that, about VP. Now, he might not want to be VP, man. You know, yeah. like as, as all the success he's having. But anyway, uh, all right. Second question. Um, <laughs> we've already mentioned the Miami week. Yeah. Uh, a little bit. We've, we've talked about David Feely quite a bit, but uh, how impressive really are David Feely's Instagram models here at Duke? Yeah. So <laughs> it's funny you say that. I think, I think it's impressive that for the models that we are, that we play football as well as we did. You know, we went down You're to Miami. You're not just uh, WWE. We're not just recreators, WWE. So yeah, yeah. We're not just whatever else we've done. Like, you know, we play football pretty well too. So I think we're pretty impressive. All right. Uh, to, to be fair, that guy that made that comment on YouTube, he did own up to it. He did. And he was talking about getting, what, getting dragged. Yeah, he did. He did a nine minute uh, uh, after the game, uh, basically like, like, hey, we just got dragged. Like he owned it. Uh, he owned oh, it all. My goodness. But, uh, but Instagram models was, was our favorite comment for sure. All right. So, we just mentioned that you brought food in here and you didn't bring us anything. Uh, but um, walk us through your favorite three course meal, man. We need an appetizer. We need like a main course. Yeah. And then we need a dessert. Yeah. So appetizers, you can never go wrong with. So when I was younger, I always just get potato skins and appetizer. Okay. That's always been my thing. So I, that's my go to. I always get potato skins and then we go to like the main course. I always, I grew up in a house where we eat like steak and chicken. Okay. So. I go with a nice, I like, I don't know. I used to be a New York strip guy. Okay. I think I'm leaning towards ribeye. Yeah. Like oh. more recently, I've been a ribeye guy. You got to get that fat on there, that fat. So, exactly. So yeah, we'll yeah. go ribeye. All right. And you then got any the, sides on your, with your ribeye? I mean, so you I usually go uh, mashed potatoes yep. and some type of vegetable. That's right. how, I mean, that's how I was raised. Spe- asparagus, some type green beans, green, something. Yeah, broccoli, yeah. asparagus, yeah. Right. something like that. And then dessert, I'm a big ice cream guy. Like All if right. I could, like I would eat ice cream sneakers for dessert every single meal. What's your flavor? So ice cream Snickers. Oh, ice cream Snickers. Ice cream Snickers. Snickers. Okay. Yep. I, All right. That's my favorite dessert. Now you are from the Midwest. My wife's from the Midwest, so that was good. Because yeah. a lot of the food is bland out there in the Midwest a little bit. And so I'll give you credit, man. I'll give you credit for your choices, man. It's it, not man. as bad. When my wife, when I got married, she liked uh, spaghetti and chicken tender. Yeah. I'm like, we got we to gotta do something about this. But uh, but anyway, all right. So so three-course meal, we got that. Now, uh, video games, man. Playing gaming. Uh, what game are you playing right now? And then... Who's the best gamer on the team? Yeah, so right now, most prevalently, I play NBA 2K22. All right. And Apollo, the best. Uh, he's a ball player. Yeah, yeah. He's a ball player. Yeah. But I say the best player on the team, That this will this will cause a riot. Because like, there's a lot of guys who claim to be the best, whatever. Jalen Cohen. And I will say, so this, this is the argument between. So Aeneas okay. Peebles will okay. argue that he's the best 2K player. Jacob Monk will. Okay. And I say Jamie R. Franklin as well. Okay. And there's a couple out here and there, but those are the main three. Okay. Like, even this morning, before we had team meeting, we sent team and they're arguing going back and forth about who's, who's better. Best. Now, I've never played with them because they're PF5 guys. I'm an Xbox guy. Okay. Yep. Yep. So, I don't really know, but those are like the top three who talk about it the most. And then who's your squad on 2K then? Who, who, what's your, or, so, or, or do you create your own multi? So, I'm going to create my own player, okay. play my part, play wherever, but like a lot of my games or what is it? Just the NBA games? Yeah. Play. Got you. So, I got you. I'm absolutely terrible at NBA 2K. <laughs> Shout out to our producer, Justin Sykes. His son, Sammy, whooped me. Okay. <laughs> like, absolutely. Unmercifully. Like, I'm terrible. So, I would be I would be the worst worst 2K player. Yeah, that shout out. And, and, and by the way, Calhoun has talked smack earlier in the season about being the best. But here we go. Last question. And this is the one, man. It's going to make you think, man. I, we're going we're gonna to go out with a bang here. Yeah. All right, you're on a deserted island. You can take one book, one TV series, and one movie with you. What are you taking? All right, so I say one book. 
Um, all right, so this is a shout-out to my strength coach, Charles Schultz from back home. All right. Him and uh, Kyle Bo, my two coaches. And they, well, I think Schultz. I, I don't know. One of them put me on a book. It's called uh, Chop Wood, Carry Water. Okay. And it's kind of yeah. like. It's like a small. Uh, yeah, smaller. Chop Wood, Carry Water, yeah. And it basically is about Chop Wood, Carry Water, yeah. right? It's about this guy who goes to some mountain. I think it's Japan, yep. some Asian country. And it's, he's doing it for his brother, trying to become a sensei or, yep. or samurai because his brother couldn't anymore. And the whole time he's chopping wood, carrying water, yeah. chopping wood, carrying water. Like, when can I become a sensei, sensei or sensei? Excuse me. And it's about just you know laying the foundation. And eventually yeah. it'll come. Yeah. And that's kind of been really cool to see. And it's kind of like a testament to what we're doing here. Yeah, that's solid. All and right, TV the, series. TV series. Oh, the Blacklist. Oh, I I watched that right. show for yeah. however, however many years now. Like I yeah. just season nine just came out on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm hooked. Okay. And yeah. The movie. Oh, that's a great question. Movie's a tough one. What movie? I I, I, what I've realized when we ask these questions is how young you guys are compared to us, yes. especially right. when we're talking about movies. I would say one of our favorite movies, uh, especially after last weekend, is Bad Boys. Yeah. Bad Boys. You know? You know, it's funny. Welcome to Miami. Welcome to Miami. That is funny because <laughs> I heard that song about 20 times this morning. So now it's played a lot. Bad Boys is a good one. I say one of the Fridays. Okay. It's probably the first Friday. Yeah. You know, just, you that know, I'm out there alone or whatever. I get a good laugh every once in a while. That's classic. Classic. Well, look, man, you, you've taken even extra time with us today, Dwayne. Uh, it's on your bye week, by the way. Enjoy a little bit of time, downtime, uh, recovery time. This team gets back in action next Friday night as yep. we go to Boston College. Um, sitting at five and three. Everybody knows what that means, man. One more win mm-hmm. and we're going bowling. Yeah. And so, uh, man, we really appreciate you stopping by, uh, Scott, Jamie. Um, and now you've taken Brian's place officially. And so that's really cool, man. We, we don't even need him anymore. So Dwayne, thanks for coming on the Sex Education Podcast, man. All right. Thank you guys for having me. And our thanks again to Captain Dwayne Carter. Always good to catch up with him. Uh, Jamie Scott and I were able to catch up with him and Jacob Monk and Shock at the ACC kickoff. Very open, direct person. Love his personality. His mama raised him right, guys. But uh, again, I, I hate I missed it, but I know that if uh, the podcast were to need a fill-in, that we're in good hands. Hey, also, shout out to Dwayne. He is also a rep of the merch. You'll see him around campus oh, yeah. rocking the Section 17 Bleed Blue uh, t-shirt. So shout out to him for doing that. Yep. And so we're going to we're gonna get right into our next segment. I think, I, I think we're all excited about this. We, we came up with this idea a few weeks ago. We ask for input from the fans. We ask for questions, obviously, with it being a bye week. This is our second episode of the week. So we reached out to you guys to see what questions you might have for us. It could be anything and everything. Um, And based off of what Jamie was telling us, we've got a lot of questions. We're not going to be able to get to all of them or else this might be a three-hour episode, but we're going to do our best. So, Jamie, why don't you go ahead and get us rolling with our first question out of the mailbag. All right, and our first question goes to Peter Dodge. One of our favorites, friend of the pod. He wants a history of how the Section 17 crew came together. Did four random guys just happen to land in Section 17 at Wallace Way? What's our story? All right, I'll take this one. I'm kind of I'm I'm somewhat of the the maybe the glue here that that brings Brian into the fold. Um, so so here's what happened. Uh, I was born, and when I was born, I basically knew how Jamie, long is this answer gonna be. <laughs> Hey, it's going to be a little bit of a story here, guys. No, and all and all uh, all jokes aside, I've known Scott and Jamie ever since I can remember, um, and we we all went to the same school together. We're different grades. Scott's way older 
uh, than us, than me and Jamie. Uh, but no, we all knew each other forever. Um, and then in 2017, um, I'm a pastor. I was up in Baltimore, Maryland, moved back here to Durham in 2017, immediately wanted to get um, season tickets while I was in Baltimore. I was involved in a fantasy football league uh, that Brian was in with the rest of us three. Uh, so Scott, Jamie, Brian, myself, all in the same fantasy football group. I moved down here in 2017. I say, guys, let's go to let's get some – or somebody says, guys, let's get Duke football season tickets. We make it happen, and the four of us go in. We got that rocking $277 special. So we chose to sit in the closest section to the gate at the very top. That's the least amount of walking we had to do. And uh, so we sat in Section 17 together. We've grown closer as friends throughout this, obviously. Uh, we were sitting there one day uh, saying, hey, let's start a Twitter account. We kind of were talking about how it's not – we don't really want to use our personal accounts as much. Um, let's start a Twitter account. So we started a Twitter account. And then we're like, hey, we should do a podcast. And we were like, we can't get together every week. There's no way, even though we live locally, there's no way we're going to drive to somebody's house and record a podcast every week. Then COVID happened. And so April of 2020, uh, we had learned of this really cool thing called Zoom. And so April of 2020, we recorded our first episode. And boy, it is a train wreck. If you go back and listen to it, we're like, we're like setting each other up, like really, really like cheesy. It's, it's, it's incredible. Um, but, uh, but we had recorded our first episode, April 2020, uh, two and nine, three and nine coaching change. And we're still here and we're growing every year. So that's the story. Um, you know, we're all good friends and we pick on each other. Um, and yeah, that's the way it happened, Peter. All right. We have another message from at Tyler Lester on Twitter. He wants to know our thoughts about the kicking situation, given what has been a bit of a struggle for Charlie Ham this year. He wants to know, should we have gone to Polino before Saturday? I'll take this one. Um, I will say this. We talked about it a little bit on Tuesday's episode, but Coach even mentioned it, I believe, post-game. Charlie did not have an injury. Valley Sports failed us yet again. Thank you, interns of Valley Sports. He had some personal items he was going through, didn't even travel with the team. Not even going to try to speculate. Don't want to speculate. I don't want to start rumors. But when we saw Todd Polino with that first kick, we knew something was going on. All that to say, Todd put in a great performance against Miami. That just makes me think that whether Charlie comes back against Boston College or whether he's still dealing with whatever personal issues he's dealing with or personal items, we're in good hands with Todd. Now, Todd didn't have a long field goal to kick. He didn't have, I mean, extra points and what was it, like a 20-yarder, I believe is what it was. Yeah, it wasn't but very long. I, I don't think our kicking situation is in a bad spot right now. I mean, yes, we had some problems with George at the Georgia Tech game, the UNC game, but it happens. It is what it is. Now, if we go into Boston College and Todd plays again and he starts missing some kicks, all right, I might change my thought process with this. But you, we just don't know. Todd's a true freshman. And, again, the way he reacted hey, in the Miami game. He's I think not just a true freshman, spot. as he said on Twitter. He is still only 18. He is only 18. True. Very true. Like a young kid. Yeah. I will say um, one thing about Charlie Ham is he has been booming kickoffs into the end zone. So that's a weapon, too, that you got to think about. And I, know, and I don't know, you know, anything about Saturday, the weather, the humidity. I'm not sure what affects 
kicks, but uh, Polino's kicks were falling, you know, just slightly short of the goal line. Uh, and that can be that can be a weapon when Charlie Ham can kick it out of the end, or not necessarily kick it out of the end zone, but kick it into the end zone so people teams can't return. Uh, at Splash OB, which I found out, I guess, just last week, was Tyler Witt. How do you think the next four games will play out? Scott, go ahead, man. Yeah, no. Scott, yeah, go ahead. Um, well, at this point, um, I I hate and I hate even say what I'm about to say because it sounds really bad. But with the supreme confidence that I think we have right now, and the the high that we're riding on, I think anything less than three and one, and you have to get back with me later about whether we beat Wake Forest or not. But I really and truly think that the next three games are, are very winnable. Um, atmospheres, home road. You know, we're going to play teams that can score, that teams that we've played well against in the past. So, personally, I, I think I speak for the group here, would say that we should go into the Thanksgiving, after the Thanksgiving holiday, three and one in these last four games. So, and that would put us eight and four. That would be yes. our best record since. 18. Was it 18 when we went to the Independence Bowl to play Temple? I think so. No, no, we were six and six when we went to Independence. No, Chick-fil-A I thought the three. following year, 2014, I thought we had a pretty good season again. I thought 2015 we were like eight and five. I got I'll, I'll look it up well, while we're talking. Listen, Brian, all we know is if we finish the year eight and four, we're gonna look back at the Georgia Tech game and be really pissed because we yeah. should have been nine and the and UNC three. game. And the UNC game, yeah. But I mean, yeah, I, I will say this. I mean, I'm being very realistic and I'm being very logical here. Three and one would be a win. Two and two, I'm not going to be mad about, to be honest with you. Pittsburgh, you don't know who you're going to get with Pitt. We have no idea what quarter, what kind of quarterback we're going to see. Uh, Yerkovic and 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 BC, we have no clue. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I you know, the, it's not going to be like the sky's falling if we finish a season two and two. We went. Well, sorry, we went seven and five to get into the bowl game in eighteen, and we finished eight and five. But eight regular season wins, we haven't done it since 2014. Okay. I can I can look ahead because I'm a fan, but at least we know that uh, Coach Elko and the staff and the players are not going to look ahead. But I'm interested in that Wake Forest game at the end of the season because you see Wake Forest in the top ten right now. So I'm not saying I'm not saying we win that game, but I'm just I'm wondering what kind of what kind of game we'll see because I don't think that they're going to roll over and just let let Wake Forest just do whatever either. So the the only game left on Wake Forest's schedule before then is against that team from Chapel Hill College. Well, and and really quick, my only concern in the back of my mind heading into the next game with Boston College is they might look at their record and go, well, we've got this game. I mean, I, I'm not saying we did that against Georgia Tech, but our performance at Georgia Tech was not there. Anyway. All right. At, at BS Holloway, Blair Holloway says, how amazing is it that this team is just like two plays from being seven and one? Which is, I mean, that's crazy. It's it's great, but it's also misery. (laughs) Yeah, last year we were three and nine, so it it's amazing to me. Yeah, I mean, we we spoke about it a little bit. Um, you know, uh, obviously this interview that we had with Dwayne, but I mean, honestly, John Tavis Robertson has two, you know, uh, two penalties um, on those quote unquote pick plays uh, this season that he wishes he had back. Dwayne's got that rough in the passer he wishes he had back. We got that phantom chop block, you know, from Dre Harrison and uh, Jordan Waters 
And, and those are all calls, but those are all plays as well. And so, yeah, I mean, it's pretty incredible to think we could be sitting here seven and one in the top 25 with just literally, and he's right, Blair's right, two plays, two plays go a different way. And here we sit at seven and one. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, things happen for a reason. We're hungrier probably um, at five and three than we maybe would be at seven and one. And so, uh, that, but that is pretty wild to think of. And as, mm-hmm. as, as Coach Yonko was reminded last week in his presser, hey, Coach, did you realize we're only 14 points away from being undefeated? So I just wanted to remind us about that. And likely ranked in the top 25. Like, oh, yeah. We're there seven one. Oh, no, no doubt. We'd be in the top 15 if we went undefeated. Uh, I don't even want to talk about it. Moving on. Moving on. For, for, for the record, real fast, I do think we're probably one of the best five and three teams in the country. Yes. Overall. At LA Dodgers all day, Sam, who asks us a question each and every week, a good, you know, usually a good question. Why does Miami seem to be overrated every season after underperforming every pre- previous season? Well, go back, go back and listen to our episode on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, Brian addressed this, but it, it's no, no, it, I'll, I'll take it a step further. It's not just the illogical expectations of the fan base. It seems to be the illogical expectations of the athletic department and of people within the program that they really think that this is 1994 again. Like they really think that like Michael Irvin is, you know, is coming through the door, like, you know, Warren Sapp. Like, I mean, I don't know what they think, but like at the end of the day, you have to view this program. I mean, I hate to say it, but you have to view this program like you view like Nebraska. And you have to say, man, this program really used to be really good. You have to look at it. Okay, if we're going to make the round ball, you have to look at it like Indiana basketball. Man, they used to be really good, and we're not taking away from that. Miami used to be really, really good. But at the end of the day, if if Indiana finds themselves in the top five, top ten in basketball, we're all shocked. And if Miami happens to fi- ever find itself again in the top five or the top ten in football, I'm going to be shocked. So – at the end of the day, look, you can't ride off the coattails of literally 25, 30 years ago. That's that is ludicrous. Well, wouldn't it be like, and this this is gonna sound bad, and he's gonna take this the wrong way, but wouldn't it be like the two highest payrolls in baseball not making the World Series? Oh <laughs> I mean, fired. legit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not, not really. I'm not I'm not trying to shoot a, I'm not trying to I'm not really trying to be funny, but seriously. Yeah. yeah. Sam, that, the, by the way, that was Scott. That was not Josh. Oh, of course. <laughs> but I mean it's it's the same difference. To be honest with you, yeah, you're right, Scott. You're right. But to Josh's point, like I said on Tuesday night, that would be like us saying, "All right, Coach Elko, we expect you to be exactly like Coach Wallace Wade did. We need two Rose Bowls. We need this. We need that." Like you don't set that type of expectation. You've got to let the new coach come in and build his own foundation, which is something that Coach Elko has done a lot faster than any of us expected. At Duke FB fans, Jordan. Ask, are you content with the iron D on the helmet if it keeps resulting in wins? And I say, Ooh. absolutely. We know Coach. That's Elko a question for Brian position. Kennedy. Nope. <laughs> I said it. I said it after the UNC loss, and I'll say it again. Clothes don't make the man, man make it the clothes. And if we're really gonna start doing this crap to where if we lose a game and we're wearing a certain logo, I'm sorry. I mean, then we wouldn't have anything to wear on the field. We've <laughs> lost plenty of games with that D. Hold on, on the now. helmet. See years Coach, 1995 to 2007. Yeah, but Coach Elko has his uh, his favorite winning sweatshirt on each game. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, Shout so out to Coach Elko for rocking the hoodie in Miami, man. That was man, that was that's commitment. And he, and he must have had a sit down talk with the black hoodie because we had not seen that black hoodie since the Kansas game. That's right. right. Yep. Yep. Hey, but I, I'm all for it. I, I'm I'm good staying away from the script. Um, but uh, I don't really if if if, if uniforms make us play better then roll out any uniform combo that makes us play and win football games. That's that's my philosophy. And we've Next. Seen it. we've seen it. It's going to be the D on the helmet like all year, except for the Carolina game, basically. Yeah. That's, that's just what it's going to be. I think if we'd won the Carolina game, we'd see the Hellraiser more this year. <laughs> but we I hate I hate to say it. We, we've come to realize Coach Elko is superstitious <laughs> yes. with the hoodie. So, yes. All right. At B. Mueller, 133, Bryce Mueller. Uh, he says, do you, do you think there are any more true freshmen that we'd like to see play a bit to help while still keeping their red shirt? Not the ones he mentions, not the ones that we've already seen play like Rivers, Moore, and VJ. So if there's going to be a true freshman that could get in and play, it was going to be Travis Bates, uh, but he's a running back, and we all know this. We have a full running back room. And there's really no reason at all to burn that red shirt. I mean, between Terry Moore, who's already burnt, and there was no plans for him to red shirt, uh, between Terry and Jaquez and Jordan Waters, and then hopefully uh, getting Jalen Coleman back, knock on wood, um, that that room is going to be built out. You have Eric Weatherly also in that room that we know has some potential. We've seen him in the A&T game, so he's he's played the one. Um I don't know that there are any others. I mean, you've got uh, Anders at tight end, but once again, our tight end room seems to be just a a steady rotation of Dal Mullen and Finney, and I don't I don't see the need for anything more. So I would say I don't think we're going to see any more true freshmen. I, I I don't know of any guys in the secondary. Once again, we mentioned Chandler Rivers. He's you know he's he's not even a true freshman anymore in our eyes. There's nobody on that two deep, three deep, even in the secondary that's a true freshman that I see coming in and playing. So, no, I would say no. I don't think we see anybody. Hey, hey, Jamie, can we give some love to our Facebook fans? Can we get a question from Facebook? <laughs> I threw a curveball at Jamie. Sorry, folks. <laughs> He's scrolling through his phone right now. Right. It's, um, this is a question for Brian. From oh, Facebook. boy. Michael Martino, do you foresee Duke playing Texas A&M in the near future because of the coach's previous ties? Define near future, and let me tell you why. Uh, we talked about this off off camera. These teams schedule their non-conference opponents years in advance. Furthermore, we don't know what conference Duke's going to be in in, say, four to five years. Could be the ACC. Could be the Big Ten. Could be a new conference that's developed from a hodgepodge of teams from different conferences. I looked. We only have one open date for the next four years. We don't get two open dates until 2026. Who knows where we will be by then? Who knows where Texas A&M will be by then? Short term, I'm going to say the answer is no. I think Coach Elko, and I'm not saying this in a negative way, he wants to distance himself from Texas A&M. He wants to build his own program and do his own thing as a head coach. But you never know. It could be a Chick-fil-A kickoff game. It could be something to say – well, let's just say it. Let's say it Coach reels off a bowl game this year, next year, or we have four consecutive bowl games or something. 2026 comes, we still have an open date. Texas A&M has an open date, and we schedule it. I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but it won't happen in the near future. No, I'm sorry. No. All right, Russ Gold, 
says, should we expect Leonard to be a four-year player? I'll, I'll take this one. Because if he continues to play like he is now and he has a monster year next year, I could see him getting out of here. Like You know, just like Daniel Jones left, what, a year early, right? Yeah, a year early. I mean, I hope he's – I hope he stays for his senior year, but I mean, if it means if he's gone and it means that he had like a absolute monster year next year, I'm okay with it. And, yeah, and, and I Jamie, think you get, go ahead, Brian. No, I was just going to say Jamie has a year's worth of helmet sticker articles already written up for <laughs> Riley Leonard, so he wants to use them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the difference between Daniel Jones and Riley was Daniel was a red shirt, and so I believe he had already completed his his degree. Um, by the time that third season of eligibility was done, I don't know where Riley will stand on that. Um, I do, I will say this I believe we've recruited properly. I mean, we've got Henry Beelan already in the fold, <clears throat> we've got Grayson Loftus coming in next year into the fold. So, I believe we're recruiting depth at, at quarterback, which you have to do. And, um, and so, hey, like you said, Jamie, if if Riley goes pro after three years and it's because he had an incredible season next year, then have at it. We'll be fans of his just like we're fans of other Duke guys in the NFL. So my gut feeling is I think he's a four-year guy. That's my gut feeling. It's not to say not to say that he is not going to have a good year next year, but like just from the interactions that we've had with him, I could see him definitely valuing finishing that degree depending on where he's at on his classes. And, uh, and unless he's like a first-round lock. I think he's a four-year guy. Next question. Carl Gilmore. It's another scheduling question for Brian. How do we feel about an East Carolina home and home? And he has a second question as well. Expectations for the crowd against Virginia Tech. Okay. Uh, let me ask, answer the second question first because we've talked about this. It's a hindrance for us to be away for three weeks between Miami, the bye week, and then Boston College. Even if we go two and zero these next uh, between Miami and Boston College, I still think there's going to be less of a turnout. And I said this, I believe, last week because basketball season has started. Mm-hmm. I don't like to say it, but I, I let's just be honest. We now, have isn't, fans- isn't there a basketball game on that Friday night? They I believe Wednesday. there's a basketball Wednesday. game that Friday night. Okay. They host Wednesday night. The hardest part for Duke football, and this is going going to be one of the toughest things for us as a program because we've seen it, is keeping attendance up. Whether we have three games in a row, whether we take three weeks off from the stadium. Um, now, one thing I will say, our, our media production team did a great job of doing hype videos leading up to the game. They had Coach Elko talking to the fans. Um and everything like that. But to answer your question, we would love to see another great turnout, especially if we win against Boston College. That makes us bowl eligible. We need home field advantage. But there could be a letdown. And we also don't know what time the game is. That's the other thing. We just don't know. It could be a noon kickoff. It could be another 8 p.m. kickoff on the ACC network. So that's that's the answer to the second question. Hey, let, me, let, me, question. let me just circle back. Yeah, yeah. go back. There is a home game on the Friday night. Yeah. Uh, a basketball game. We play uh, USC Upstate on Friday night, the 11th, and then <clears throat> the Virginia Tech game is Saturday the 12th. 
So there is an opportunity, Duke fans. If you come in town or you're coming to that basketball game on Friday night, just get you a room, stay over, and come to the football game the next day. And for the record, that is a mil- that is Military Appreciation Day. So there's going to be a lot of stuff that they're going to do. And I believe uh, on Facebook there's something about them doing something that morning for the mm-hmm. Military Appreciation Day. So this is something else to think about. I feel like if we're six and three going into that game, I think there will be a good, a decent crowd. I'm not sure it's going to be the level of the Carolina game, obviously, but I think it'll be a good crowd. Right. And Virginia Tech's one of our most hated opponents, if we're being honest, in a good way, in a good way. But going back really quick, we would love to have ECU on the schedule. But like I said, it's just going to be tough until 2026 because we already, we only have one open date between now for every year. And we typically schedule a historical black college to play us, whether it be Central, whether it be uh, A&T, it could be someone else. It's just something we do with the Durham team or a team in North Carolina. But who knows? I mean, maybe we can get together and, and get them on the schedule. It'd be a home and home. I have a question, though. What what good does ECU do for Duke? I understand what good Duke does for ECU. Uh, but what does a win – on a typical six and six ECU season, let's be let's be honest. Um, I just don't know if Duke could go out and play a Power Five school, a Northwestern, a Kansas, a Baylor. You know, fill in the blank of who we've been playing over the last few years. If we could do that, you know, I guess that's my question. My, my it, counter- it does, a lot of it does come down to money. Let's be real. Right, right. My counterpoint would be this: would we'd rather have an FCS win? or a group five win to help our bowl odds. I mean, that that's really right. the only thing. And also to say we have an in-state rivalry. I mean, <clears throat> perfect world. We're already playing North Carolina and state every year starting next year. If we could just have ECU as one of our non-conferences every year, all four of the big schools and, and Wake. Yes, I know Wake. I'm sorry. But still to have, have us play, what, four of the five schools or three of the four schools, I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, four of the five. Next question, Kevin Trapani. Sorry if, if I didn't pronounce your name last name correct. It says, everyone in college football and NFL runs a pick play to spring a receiver. It's rarely called, but it's been called three times on us. Two were crucial. How do you guys think we're addressing our technique? I will say one thing about the, the one on Saturday was kind of egregious. So that, that pick play was – I mean – I saw it on TV and it looked like he ran, he deliberately ran into the defender, but that's just me. What do you, what do you, what do you think, Scott? I mean, I think that we, we realize what the position, the what's been called. And I think that we've tried to coach it up to where it doesn't happen. I mean, unfortunately it does happen. And if you, you know, like Saturday, for example, like it was egregious, but still you're trying to make that play. You're trying to get your guy open. And sometimes you don't think that you're going to def- uh, interfere. You're just trying to get your man open for the touchdown. So I think that they've addressed this. I think that's something they've worked on, or especially now since it's been called a couple times. And, you know, I think for the future, it's definitely something that uh, they're looking at and trying to – I won't say get away with, but to do a better job at. Because let's be honest, that play happens a whole lot in college football. And And it must be just a split second thing because 
it seems like we're getting called, you know, quite a bit for it. So whoever or whatever that timing is, you know, we just got to sure that up. All right. Last question before we head out of here. Philip Wood says, "Little, it's a little premature, but what bowl games are we thinking? What do we want to go to or that we think the team will, will I, be eligible? I think for? let's take it as which ones we would like to see, like we would like to go to. Let's Let's do it as that. Because we have no clue if we're going to go three and, and one or one and three to finish the year. I mean, and we, you know I mean? we all need to answer this question. So. I'll yeah. take the first one. I would I would love to go to the military bowl, just because I I've never been up to that area and I would I would love to love to visit. Uh, military cool, bowl. We our our opponent would be AAC. AAC. Yes, thank you, Scott. And that would be Wednesday, December twenty eighth at two o'clock. Who wants to go? Right, next? Scott, what you think? All right. See, I'm tied. Um, and my biggest thing is work related. I want to stay somewhere close where we can drive. Um, I would say definitely would want to do the military just for the same reason Jamie's talked about, because I think that would be a great situation knowing how much I love the country and the flag and the whole nine. Um, but personally, I'd rather go to Duke's Mayo just because it's two and a half hours away. And it's in Charlotte, as Scott said, against a Big Ten opponent Friday, December 30th at noon. And Friday works a whole lot better in my schedule. Yeah, than you wouldn't even Tuesday. have to take off, really. Nope, exactly. So, Josh, yeah. why don't you go next? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to be mad at either one of those, um, you know, number one. Um, so we spend Christmas week up in the greater Detroit area. So anything up there would uh up in that that area would be fine but i think what i would like to witness and see is a return to the pinstripe bowl simply because i would love to go to a football game in yankee stadium i've got one of my best friends in the world lives up in the bronx and man that would be an easy an easy trip for for me and so selfishly i would love to see what who would that who would that opponent be brian pinstripe bowl would be against big a big 10, ten opponent yeah. Thursday, December 29th at 2 p.m. on ESPN. And, and hopefully, and hopefully, Josh would take his other three friends with him. Oh, of course, guys. We we yeah. could probably have a place to stay for free if, if the pinstripe bowl happened. So See, that language, that language is that I'm hearing that language and I like it. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'll, all right, I'll Brian. Finish. Yeah, I, I I looked at them all. Just because that's just me. I'm the guy that sends texts after our third win going, all right, here's our bowl projections of where we're going. And the guys are like, you're an idiot. And yes, he did, by the way. Just I, I really yeah, did. He's not um, lying. He's not lying. I'm, at I'm all. not. I'm I'm just that guy. I would love to go up to Boston and watch a game in Fenway. Not a baseball game, a football game. Just because Fenway is one of the oldest baseball stadiums. And it would just be cool to see how they have a field erected inside of a baseball field. That's actually the first bowl game that ACC has an affiliation with. It would be on the 17th of December. That's a Saturday. But the kickoff time, guys, 11 a.m. Thanks. That's that's not ideal as far as tailgating purposes or anything like that. And if we were to go, we'd be tailgating with the hard hat guys. Yeah, hard hats would be be out there at like 4 a.m. Yeah, they would be getting the keys from the security guard to open up so they could uh, (laughs) park in the in the parking lot. But yeah, that would be against an AAC opponent. But yeah, uh, pinstripe. I'd love to go there as well. Yankee Stadium, just the history of it. It's not the original Yankee Stadium, but still it is Yankee Stadium. 
And then, of course, going to Charlotte, Duke's Mayo Bowl, maybe uh, Bank of America Stadium could actually fill a stadium out for the first time this year. Sorry, Jamie. <laughs> Shots and would, fired. And it would be awesome to see Coach Elko get uh, Mayo doused on him. And, and I will say this. I said it last year before they made the coaching change. If we did go and we won the game, I would be happy to stand right next to Coach Elko now that I know who our coach is and take that Mayo bath with him. Yeah. You heard it now, here first. Now, let's be honest. Uh, Jamie and Scott, your two choices would probably be the best for the fan base. Yes. Uh, you know, Annapolis and Charlotte would be best for the fan base. Annapolis is like four and a half hours from Durham. Charlotte, two to two and a half hours, depending on uh, depending on who's driving. Uh, but um, yes, but yeah, that, those would be good. And, and here's here's the cool part, guys. We just had a real legitimate conversation about Duke's bold destination, and that just First makes time me happy. Four years that makes me happy, man. And but the they, more the more wins we get. Sorry, Scott. I will let you uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Scott. No. Here, all I was going to say is this. Um, it's our personal opinion here. I don't care where we go as long as we're bowling. That's all that matters yes. to me. I don't care if they go to the Sun Bowl. I don't really want them to go to the armpit of Louisiana Bowl, but I don't care if they go anywhere else, honestly, as long as we're bowling. That's what we want. That's what we're excited about. That's what we've spent all this time and effort and energy in is watching these guys play to see them go bowling and to just, you know, show what Coach Elko and the staff has been doing and helping these guys get better each each week in each game. And I will say this, the the more games we win, the closer to home we will be because the bowl committees pick teams based off of geographical locations. If we're a six and six school or a six and six team, I should say, we might be going out to San Diego or El Paso. Um, Shreveport. The Armpit Bowl is actually not affiliated with the ACC this year, Scott. So you don't have to worry about that. The Tim Brando Armpit of the Louisiana Bowl. Darn. Okay, go ahead. Well, and Duke fans, if you would like for us to be able to uh, holiday bowl, maybe be media and give you some inside access uh, at the bowl game, the best thing you can do is to go buy some merch at DukeFootballTalk.com, and uh, every bit of that helps us. (laughs) Shameless uh, shameless plug. Uh, but wait, there's more. Go to dukefootballtalk.com and get your Elko era t shirt. No, but that does help us, and, and we do. Our plan next year is to go to a lot of away games, uh, as many as we can, uh, even if it's not all four of us, whoever can go. And then obviously, we have plans, if if at all possible, to uh, to go to these uh, to go to this these bowl game, this bowl game. But at the end of the day, guys, you know, this we don't work for anybody, and so uh, in all seriousness. The more support we get from merch, the easier it is for us to be able to get to those uh, destinations. And so you can help us out there. That was a shameless plug. Yeah, and I I think a great way to stop right here because we've answered a lot of questions. Again, thank you all for sending in your questions. We couldn't get to them all because it would have been a two-hour episode. But for the ones we answered, thank you for uh, reaching out and sending in your question. We'll be back next week. We're back at it. Duke's back. We're going to be back. Boston College, Friday night, ESPN, 7 o'clock. Could be bowling after that game on the deuce. ESPN 2. Thank you, Scott. But as we have done in the in uh, weeks past, we will be asking you for your questions, possibly on Boston College, as we head into another game week. But again, that will wrap it up for us. We will be back again next week against Boston College. Shout out to Dwayne Carter for coming on this episode, man. We love you, dude. 
Yep, Dwayne, thanks. I know if I uh, ever need to take some time away, you will happily step in. But for Josh Cox, Jamie Holt, Scott Medlin, and producer Justin Sykes, I'm Brian Kennedy, and this has been another episode of the Duke Football Talk Section 17 Podcast. Podcast.